Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of Christian Conspiracy Theory. Boy, have we got a whopper for you today. This is the question, ladies and gentlemen. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, we are told of an incident referred to as the harrowing of hell. I'll read the two verses in question, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The real question is, ladies and gentlemen, is... Well, which hell did Christ go to? We are told in the scripture of several different localities that could technically fit that description. So with that in mind, what's your opening comments, Aaron? Well, um, I was coming across this while I was reading the book of Enoch as I was translating it, and... Um, more specifically, when I came across uh, Enoch chapter 22, and it talks about four places, four uh, compartments in the underworld, and and four of these uh, these four um, do not include the uh, the bottomless pit where where the angels who fell are uh, trapped and imprisoned, but um, this is for the spirits that of men that died, and in this chapter, the archangel Raphael makes it pretty clear uh, that it's for the spirits of the human dead. And the first two we know specifically, directly through the scriptures, and it says one, the first one uh, is paradise. And this is the description of which he gives. And it says in verse 9, And he answered me, saying, These three have been made to separate the spirits of the dead. And this, the first one, is separated from the righteous spirits. Where the well, uh, separated for the righteous spirits. Where the well of waters is in its light. And this specific um the the first three he mentions are the one for those who are not that are not in the light with the righteous ones and so that brings us straight to paradise 
Paradise is where, also called Abraham's Bosom, is basically the Garden of Eden on a spiritual level. And um, there we know all the righteous spirits go as a holding temporary holding place until the last day when they are judged and are allowed to walk this earth again. And um, then verse 10 goes on to another one, which is Hades. And it says, And this one has been created for the sinners. When they die and are buried in the earth, and judgment does not come upon them in their lives. Here their spirits are separated in this great torment until the great day of judgment, where there is the scourging and the torment of the accursed, until the age shall come to repay their spirits. But there... God shall bind them until eternity. These verse 2 are the ones we mostly know about, but it names two others. And these are, it gives the first one, it gives, the third one, it gives this description in verse 12. And in this one, the spirits that make intercession are separated, who declare concerning their destruction when they were murdered in the days of sinners. And that, as we know from Revelation chapter 6, uh, verse 19, and that is, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them who dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So, um, here it says, this place is somewhere under the altar, which is in heaven. And um, this chapter also expands that Abel, the spirit of Abel, who Cain murdered, is in this third compartment where he makes intercession with God, uh, with with heaven, until the, the spirit, uh, until Cain's seed is wiped out from the earth. So, um, this one has not been very much touched on, but go ahead. Well, Aaron, you're you're really given an exact description of a single word there for prison that you're talking about. Uh, that's a perfect description. Those three verses in Revelation is really a perfect description of uh, G fifty four thirty eight is. Is that tied in with this? Do you think that's the whole purpose that these three verses are given? Because I take note that verse 9 is a descriptor of the individuals themselves. But the next two verses both refer to time. So can you speak to that? Does this word here, does it play in other passages that refer to a type of prison? Um, that word, vulake. Uh, means, um, or philake in Greek, it means um, a sort of prison that also refers to a sort of time given in that, in that prison. Um, as I go to Nicholson Strong's, uh, 
for G5438, and it says uh, that it also can mean specifically the time as a division of day or night. So yes, possibly. Well, that's what. I but I think this prison is this fourth one, which I'm coming to. I see. I, I also see that in the Strong's for the New American Standard Bible, it says guard, imprisonment, imprisonments, prison, prisons, time of night, and also watch. So one of the four uh, watches of the night. I find that uh, pretty interesting. So. With these different parts of heaven, uh, we're told in multiple verses about the lower parts of the earth. Do any of those verses uh, speak about how many there are? Uh, do they say there's four, or do they say there are five, or do they not give a reference to a number to their compartments? Um, in the scriptures, you mean? Yes, in the scripture. Um to the number given, not directly, but it says there are lower parts of the earth, as we uh, read in, here it is in Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, it says, Now that he, Christ, ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up for above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Is there any other verses that speak of these lower parts? Yes, in Isaiah chapter 44, verses, verse 23, it says, Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord, <clears throat> for the Lord hath done. Shout joyfully. You lower parts of the earth, break forth into a shout of joy. You mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord hath, has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel he shows forth his glory. And in Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 20, Then I will bring you down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old. I will make you dwell in the lower parts of the earth like the ancient waste places with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be will not be inhabited but I will set glory in the land of the living and I see that's also uh, in Ezekiel 32 verse 24 it refers to the lower parts of the earth as well well what's your what's your determination here are you putting uh, these things together? And let me ask you this right off the top of my head. Um, there's also another place, of course, the most famous one is in Psalms uh, 23. Everybody knows it. This shadow of death. Do you think that is possibly one of the compartments as well? Yes. And um, let me further go and uh, read about this fourth compartment in Enoch. I named the first three, and there's a fourth, which is also never, uh, rarely ever touched on. And it says, And this one has been created for the spirits of men, those who shall not be devout but sinners, those who are ungodly, and shall be partakers with the lawless. And as for these spirits, those 
<clears throat> though those here will suffer less punishment than them, they will not be punished in the day of judgment, but they will not be raised from here. And um, these are the people who were partakers with the evil ones. Um, and I guess, I don't know how to describe that type of thing. Uh, a sort of barrier between being ungodly or a sinner and still go undergoing judgment for sin. I, um, the best description I can give is the concept of purgatory, where um, it is believed by the Catholic Church that the spirits of um, those who are righteous but were caught in sin and death go to this place called purgatory, where they um, suffer a flame that purifies their sin so they can go into the gates of heaven. And um, regardless of that concept, um, this other place gives a sort of barrier between paradise and Hades, a different place. I see. So you're you're saying that you're alluding to that there are righteous people that got caught in sin when they died, I take it. Um, we'll just refer to like people who are threatened with the pain of death and uh, lie and get killed anyway. Instances like this. What what type of instances are you referring to? I mean, I understand the concept that um, Hades is obviously separate from, uh, from Paradise, which is kind of... I've always described it as a floating island. Uh, it has elevation. There's a guff between it and Hades, but they can see each other. They can obviously talk to one another. So are you saying that uh, Hades is further divided into two different places? Um, one for the outright unrighteous. Well, we would call them wicked, I guess. And those spirits that were not wicked or those people that were not Intentionally wicked? Is that what you're trying to allude to there? Yes, those um, those who have um, been caught in sin at the right moment, like saying a lie, uh, and it was already given, fallen upon their heart, that guilt, but they never have a chance to repent, they die. Uh, that's the type of concept I'm, I'm giving. Well, a, a good example that that comes to mind with me is you plan a sin you premeditate a sin and you know how your conscience eats you the entire time while you're executing this thing I guess a good way to put it in modern day terms would be having an affair on your spouse let's say you plan to have a rendezvous uh, with a harlot and before you get there before you actually commit the act uh, you're in a head-on car collision, and you find yourself, well, in Hades. This presents a very good question. Um, we do know there are some denominations that uh, speak of a purgatory type of thing. And let me just directly ask you, is purgatory uh, in either the Hebrew or the Greek of the Bible itself? No, it's, it's primarily Latin. Purgatory is a Latin word. 
so it would not be present in the scriptures. Um, but another thing we might want to consider is the people who we've talked about this before the the people who are righteous people but they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ like in a place in the world where um they had not heard the gospel yet and um yet they were good righteous people they feared God but possibly under another name but these people have never uh, never had a chance to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they died um the question is what kind of where would they go if they died? Would they go to Hades or paradise? Where would they go? Well, this is an over reference uh to what the scripture plainly talks about that everybody would know through creation. I mean, there is no doubt about it uh that the Bible makes over references uh to this to these people because of creation. They see him, they see God through creation. However, it doesn't mention in those verses uh, that they know Christ. Uh, it it only mentions uh, that they knew God. Uh, let's go to uh, Romans, the very first chapter, verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not. So this is, this is separating... Uh, everything it, it, it never says Christ here. You go to the verse prior to that, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that were made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Take note. Aaron, why did he use that word there? Why did he use, uh, there in the Strong's, it's G2305, Godhead? Now, this just opens a can of worms up between uh, the major factions of Christianity, no doubt about it. But Aaron, as you can clearly see here, Christ is not mentioned. It says that they see God. It doesn't say they see Christ. And Christ is the only way to God. So this brings up a very interesting aspect uh, in this, this whole diatribe. And that needs to be looked upon. Yes, and so um, this concept of people being um, either caught in sin or not hearing the gospel, we go back to um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19-20, which we read earlier, by which he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And that being said, these people didn't have a chance to hear the gospel. And they had been caught in disobedience in the days of Noah. When It says when God, when the long-suffering of God waited. Well, we also have this aspect that when Christ comes back, he makes himself perfectly clear that he's going to bring, uh, bring the righteous with him or the saints with him. Now, so we obviously know 
that Christ first pays a visit to paradise. Correct? Yes, that's what he what what he said to the uh, one of those criminals who are who are, uh, who are crucified with him. He said, I will be in paradise with you this day. So, so that being the case, we we have a mechanism for such a place, no doubt about it. Uh, we know from mythology, uh, and I've often wondered this, you have to cross the river Styx in order to get into Hades. Well, what do you call the other side of the shore that you're waiting on? I mean, is that still the realm of the dead, or is that perhaps the shadow of death? I don't know. But here creates a mechanism that Christ will go, obviously, to Hades, no doubt about it. Well, what happens if the people that you're referring to here, uh, and quite possibly the first chapter of Romans is referring to, what happens when Christ get there if they accept Christ? having already known God, uh, as declared through nature, uh, boy, this creates a whole different whirlwind uh, for this topic of how many compartments are in the underworld or the uh, Hades. This brings up all kinds of questions. Uh, and like I said, major, major fighting between the denominations. So... Absolutely amazing that you're bringing up these different things, and you know that's that's a good question. Let let me ask you that about what is referred to as below the altar in heaven. Do you think that is a part of Hades, or perhaps that is the lower parts of heaven? Because there's more than one heaven. We know that that God Himself is at the top of heaven, uh, like a pyramid or like a mountain. Uh, there's different different parts of heaven. Uh, we we know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. So is it possible uh, that this be true? Um, what is your thoughts? Do you do you think this is a, a probable cause to uh, at least think about it, or maybe even accept the fact that there might be? Uh, more than just Hades and Paradise in the underworld. Uh, and please speak to um, the ancient mythologies. What did they uh, What did they say about Hades? How many compartments did they say uh, were there in the land of death? Most of them believed that there were seven, um, seven other places. And they, um, more often than not, calling it the compartments of hell, they said the 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 earths plural, and then uh, they're just uh, uh, like you just like we just stated the lower parts of the earth. There were, um, and it's interesting to find, as you alluded to early earlier, that in the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, they believed that there there were seven compartments in in the in hell. And the first being Sheol, as we know it. Uh, the second being Abaddon. The third being uh, Be'er Shechath, which means pit of corruption. Um, pit Ha Yavan, which means clinging mud. 
Sha'are, Mavet, Gates of Death, and Tsalmavet, Shadow of Death, which is the one we mentioned, and the seventh being Gehinnom, or the Valley of Hinnom. Now, please elaborate on that. Now, is that one even in existence yet? No, I do not believe Gehinnom is, is in existence. Perhaps uh, if we were to say that there was a shallow part between between Earth and, and Hell, which is where the Lord will blow a hole in the Valley of Jezreel or in the Valley of Hinnom, it will blow a hole between Earth and, um, and Hell, and it will fill up with magma and is called the Lake of Fire in the book of Revelation. Um, so I, I guess it could exist to an extent as um, a hollow place, uh, a, a very shallow uh, transition between the earth and, ha- and hell. So, possibly. Well, me and Brian have done episodes on this. Um, everybody fails to realize what the Sheba rift is. It is a rift that goes, uh, it's out in the sea. It is south of Yemen, out there in the water. It goes up uh, the Red Sea, and it goes right through the Promised Land, up through, of course, Syria, Damascus. And uh, there are volcanoes there along the Sheba Rift that nobody's been talking about, but this is really live, local, and late-breaking. They've had major activity there. Um, We've even had new uh, islands forming there that everybody is not talking about. So what you could be describing is that under the Valley of Jezreel is a magma chamber that, and everybody talks about the magma chamber underneath Yellowstone. It is there. And if it blows, basically the United States will be game over. So this creates a perfect geological mechanism. Now, if there's a magma chamber underneath the Sheba Rift where the Valley of Jezreel is physically, that would give a rhyme and a reason as to why that oil's in the Middle East. And I mean all of that oil in the Middle East. You're providing a mechanism using geology that could explain something in theology. Now, that's just off the charts. Um, I just find that completely off the charts. But I did uh, I did hear you say that they believe in one of them, that the scripture obviously talks about the shadow of death. Can you elaborate on those scriptures and your thoughts about whether Enoch includes this, this shadow of death in his list of four? Yes, I believe this is the fourth. The fourth um, named, where these disobedient ones uh, partakers with the lawless, but are divided from the lawless, or the ungodly, which are in Hades. So, um, that leads us to, um, well, first of all, uh, uh, let's follow that way up to uh, Isaiah which uh, that word prison in First Peter, which we mentioned, is philake, and 
that um that word prison leads us to Isaiah chapter forty two verses six to seven. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and will hold up and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And that leads us, well, when we read this, remember, oh, that's quoted in the New Testament. That's when it speaks of Christ. That leads us to Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 16. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And then we also go to Luke one seventy-eight, and it says, Though the tender mercy of our God, whereby, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our way into the way of peace. Well, you do realize what you just quoted there. Let me, look, open your ears. It doesn't say the verbiage that you're expecting. It says, to give light to them that sit in darkness. It doesn't say torment, does it? No. And as 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 Enoch says, this fourth place, they will suffer a lesser torment. It says um, in verse 13 of chapter 22, it says, And as for these spirits, though those here will suffer less punishment than them, they will not be punished in the day of judgment, but will not be raised from here. Well, let's let's push the envelope a little bit. Do you have any other examples in Scripture of something being like this? And um, I just got a feeling that there's somewhere in the parables that some instance where it's arguable, God doesn't come out and say it. Uh, have you looked into other Scriptures not pertaining this to this particular topic, but would elude to this topic. Do you have any examples of such instances? Well, in Matthew 18, verses 32 to 35, it says, In this parable of the wicked servant, Then his Lord, after that he called him, and said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he could, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brothers of his trespasses. And, um... Well, I, I hate to say it, I have to agree with you. Um, it says there that God will do the same thing. Now, this leads me – this immediately makes me think of why people used to put coins on the eyes, their, the eyelids of their deceased relatives because this was a very terrifying aspect. If you did not pay the infamous ferryman – now, unfortunately – uh, 
due to other scriptures, we know that ferrymen exist. Because in another parable with Lazarus, we are told quite plainly that the angels carried him to the place he went. So, beyond any shadow of a doubt, there's certainly ferrymen that take you where you're going. No doubt yes. about it. So, so we're, we're grounding this from, it says um, in verse 34, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he could pay all that was due him. And that leads us back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 25 to 26. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to his officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Well, this is this is exactly what they were referring to in ancient times with these coins on the eyelids of their deceased relatives to pay this ferryman. Yes, and they called this Charon's opal. And they were they were to be either usually placed in the mouth or on the mouth. But it's also on the eyes and at the feet sometimes. Um. Well, this carries over into today because today, um, when you die, uh, your next of kin is liable for all of your debt. Uh, so this is very scary, especially um, in ancient times uh, because you realize that if your next of kin that had just died – owed enough money to be thrown into prison, you would be thrown into prison. Uh, so this ties over even into modern times, the, the thought that this debt from dead relatives would be incurred on you if the ferryman was not paid his toll. So, yes. this, so, so this idea is even in modern times, which would make it very important to when the text was written itself, correct? Correct, and um, let's. Uh, I looked up this the Karen Zobal, and it's interesting to find that in in Judea, a pair of silver nanari were found in the eye sockets of a skull. The burial dated to the second century A.D. and occurs within the Jewish community. And it's also interesting to find that during the 1980s, the issue came embroiled with the controversies uh, regarding the Shroud of Turin when it was argued that the eye area revealed the outlines of coins, since the placement of coins on the eyes for the burial is not uh, securely attested in antiquity, apart from one example from Judea, cited above, this interpretation of evidence obtained through digital image processing cannot be claimed as a firm support for the Shroud's authenticity. Anyway, so... Um, now, now it's interesting to find that there was a converse, controversy that uh, there were outlines of coins in the eyes of the Shroud of Turin. Aaron, that's Aaron, that's absolutely off the charts. I don't know if you know it or not, but one of the experts in the Shroud uh, is L.A. Marzulli. Uh, he's got, I think, at least one documentary on that. But you're... You just uh, went off the rails with me. Let me ask you, you said there were two silver denarii. Are you sure they 
weren't shekels. Uh, now, I ask that for a particular reason, because, well, if we're dealing with two holy half shekels, one on each of the eyelids, that would be absolutely off the charts, don't you think? Oh, yes. And just for you people who haven't, who may not know, the Shroud of Turin was believed to have been uh, a towel that was set over Jesus' face when he died, when he was crucified and was laid in the tomb. Well, that would be absolutely off the charts. Now, we can't make definitive estimations here. And you just drop this on my head. I'm going to have to take a serious look, and uh, well, we're going to be doing an episode with L.A. today. I'm going to ask him about it because you just went off the rails with me. You just absolutely caught me uh, by surprise, um, it, just off the charts. But anyway, getting back to topic here, it's hard to argue with Matthew chapter 18. It literally comes out and says what you said that it, it, it stated. That's an arguable point. You could say that, well, he was talking about literally a servant. Yet, at the end of the day, it says that's what God would would do to this individual, which is going to create a whole lot of controversy between two of the major factions in Christianity. No doubt about it. Um, this is just really off the rails. You bringing that up the shroud of Turin and them finding. I mean, you're not speaking about fiction, Aaron. You you said they found. Uh, they they found this skeleton with two coins in its eye sockets. Um, absolutely off the charts. So so we have this idea. The reason why people would think this because they were terrified of incurring the debt of their next of kin. And that is a very terrifying thought. So if you were to spiritually describe what that what what paying the debt would be, how would you pay the debt in the underworld if you were in this shadow of death? Well that's right. You obviously would not use money. Um the only thing that makes sense is that you would have to endure a purging and Aaron, I hate to say this, but there's a whole lot of prophetic references to that when God says that uh, there will be those that are, well, like a furnace is slagged uh, to get the impurities off the top of it. It says we will, or some, will be purged by fire. Now, I'm not saying that is what this is talking about. I'm just saying that uh, well, I better be very careful what I say. That thought process is there in the scripture, referring to some being purged and refined in fire. Yes, and when we go back to Matthew eighteen thirty-four, I've read it over a few times, and I'm going to read it over again. And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due to him. Um... How can he pay that all that's due to him of being he's being tortured and what what if that's the way he pays his due? Exactly. What what if that is the way um 
what if that's the way he pays his due. And it's just that um, people that are left behind, you know, alive, they're afraid that they're going to have to pay it in money. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, boy, are we opening up a can of worms here. I had no intention. Um, I had no intention of going uh, this far, uh, no doubt about it. But, I mean, we have to talk about this. We we, we have to. Um, we have to bring this up. Um, so, wow, I'm, I'm left speechless. I'm sorry, Aaron, you've caught me completely off guard here, which is excellent stuff, man. Not, not many people can, can trip me up when it comes to the Bible. What are your thoughts, Aaron? Um, do you think this is why this description is included in the book of Enoch? I mean, tell us the context that these four compartments uh, for the realm of the dead is even mentioned in the book of Enoch. What What is the context? Why do you think it's important that he tells us uh, these four compartments? Um, there is, in the book of the Watchers, which I'm translating it um, from about uh, chapter 17, he begins to speak of his travels through the heavens that um, he's being taken from place to place and showed the places, the different places in cosmology. And he um, usually describes these places as mountains and ravines and rivers. Uh, and I guess that's just the best way he was able to describe them. And in that chapter 22, it says these compartments are cavities inside of a big mountain that he describes as making with solid, uh, high, solid stone. And... Um, it's descript he gives this description of it. There were four... <clears throat> I'll start with first one. From there I traveled to another place, and I was shown towards the west another great mountain and high, solid rock. And there were four places in its hollow parts, being deep and very smooth, three of them being dark and one in light, and a well of water was in the middle of this. So he... He describes he describes them two ways, being deep and smooth, three of them being dark, and one being light. And there's a well of water, an aquifer, in the middle of the one in light, which would be, which would be paradise. And remember what the rich man said to Abraham, when he what he said to Lazarus, dip your finger in some water so you can put it on my tongue to cool it off. That is absolutely off the charts. You're you're catching me so far off guard. It's well, it's it's a beautiful thing uh, for me to be caught off guard. I mean, I've studied these scripture my whole time, and uh, you know, it's it's funny how when you're associated with a particular denomination, you never even question uh, these topics. I mean, to me, it's always cut and dry, Aaron. There is no purgatory. It's not in Scripture. Show me the word. Now, this does work with some things, uh, most notably another Latin corruption of God's word, rapture. Now, it certainly works with that. But with this word, purgatory, uh, we're coming up with question marks. We're coming up with gray areas. And, well, what a 
what a perfect illusion uh, that the scripture talks about the shadow of death. I, I guess that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the gray areas of scripture because Matthew 18 because I've been raised the way I've been raised, I want to argue with it. And maybe that's why I just read over it. Because at the end of the day, I didn't want to argue with it, so I didn't see it. I just read right over it. And that's wrong. That's absolutely 100% wrong. No matter what the Bible says, we have to come to grips with what it says, and that's the truth. That's what the truth is. But this is certainly regulated to the realm of Christian conspiracy theory. So, the simple fact that we have a possibility here, we have a mechanism that there's two compartments in Hades that elevated above that, separated by a guff, is paradise. But in reference to Hades itself, the simple fact that we could be getting allusions to two compartments in Hades, one for the wicked and those that were caught with the wicked, clearly separating it there. And the simple fact that – well, like, like the scripture I, I pointed out to you, how could they just be sitting around in Hades? That doesn't make sense. I mean, we have to look at this mathematically. We have to equal this equation, and we – well, I take that back. You, Aaron, have found us a gray area where the equation is not equal, and is it your opinion that we have enough data to make a determination? Do you think we do or not? I believe we do. I believe that there is um, there is a prison somewhere in uh in in the underworld I'm just going to say the underworld in the land of the dead where um the disobedient who are separated from the um ungodly are held and uh, many uh were if not all were freed when Christ came I'm not saying that people aren't there now but um, it says specifically that the ones before the flood were released. You no, know, he preached to them. So, um, so yeah, I believe that they're. I I, I think Enoch's uh, pointing out these four places. Um, it's very scripturally scripturally provable. The these other two, which is rarely touched on, one being uh, the third being the altar, and the fourth being this prison. So, I feel like we're kind of conclusive with this. But, um, like you said, it's Christian conspiracy theory. Well, we have this aspect, you know, of, of Christ's return. I mean, he makes it pretty clear that he's going to bring back uh, those that are at least... In paradise. Uh, matter of fact, it, it plainly states that they get the honor of being changed before those uh, that are living are, cha are, are changed. Uh, now, it doesn't say rapture. It says changed. So, with that in mind, uh, it leaves me speechless. 
okay? It literally leaves me speechless um, because it could be including these people you're talking about. And this might be a part and parcel of isochronal eschatology, Aaron. Now, I know it's kind of off the rails for me to say that, but let me read about the harrowing of hell again. By which also he went and preached into the spirits in prison. Now, man, I want to speak about this very lightly because you talk about opening up a can of worms. Why couldn't he do this again? What if this was the whole purpose that this was done so that you could see this was coming again, utilizing isochronal eschatology? Because that's what God says. All the people that hold to Futuristic eschatology is wrong. Everybody who holds to historical eschatology are equally as wrong. God says that eschatology is isochronal. He says with his own mouth repeatedly in the scripture. Now now listen, Aaron. I'm, boy, this is a can of worms. God says with his own mouth that which has been is that which will be. Correct? Yes. And with that being said, we know in the book of Revelation, in the last chapters, it describes when the Father comes back, the spirits who are in, in Hades, in the land of the dead, would be um, brought out for judgment. Uh, which would be, well, when you die you're and your spirit goes somewhere, you're technically judged, Right. Well, yes. But then, then you undergo another judgment in the last days. I, look, you've caught me completely off guard. Um, I'm wanting to argue with you. I'm wanting to debate with you. But you've shown me too many scriptures to do that. But, like I said, I'm not used to dealing with gray areas in God's word. I'm just not. Okay. There am I. I mean, my eyes are used to dealing in the light. And I mean the full-blown light, no shadows anywhere. And you force me to look into the shadows, so my eyes are, well, uh, my eyes are obviously going to have to adjust to the light content, correct? That just happens naturally uh, with the physical human body. The irises must either contract... Or open up, all depending on your amount of light source. So with that being said, I, I'm not going to say too much about it other than the simple fact that we could be dealing with an isochronal event with First Peter chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And I never – Aaron, <laughs> you just made these more important than I thought they were. Okay, because we have – well, we know that um, at least half of the body of Christ at this present moment uh, says there is no, no purgatory. That's false. That's, you know, that's a lie. And then half of this group will actually come out and say that, uh, no, Christ didn't go to hell. Uh, there was no harrowing of hell. He never descended there. And, and these are mainline churches that will say that. Um I did uh, a search for it uh, the day before yesterday, 
and it was amazing how many mainline churches were saying, no, Christ never went to hell. That's that's just figurative. Uh, when no, it's not figurative. Uh, he definitely did do that. So with that in mind, um, man, <laughs> I just don't know how to counter what you're saying, what you've brought up so far. Um let me ask you this. Do you think uh, this could possibly open up the way to yet another episode of Christian Conspiracy Theory? Because what of these tormentors uh, mentioned in that parable? Yes, and, and when you read read most um, popular texts, they'll say that no demons in hell uh, torment people. and But... Um, I highly doubt that because demons are any fallen or demonic entity trapped in hell or in, under torment themselves. But it's also interesting to find that Book of Enoch speaks of the angels of punishment. Well, we got a major problem there once again with Lazarus. Uh, you read the verses yourself. You said that... Uh, well, he was obviously thirsty, longing for something to drink. Did he mention anything about anyone tormenting him, by the way? It said that there's a flame or the burning. But it does not say demons were afflicting him. He did not say that, which he could have just admitted, I guess. But So this brings up a different realm there. I mean, you saying that there... Are, is perhaps angelic tormentors in hell. That's that's off the charts. You're saying there's angels in hell, literally. That's going to cause... Well, that's another can of worms. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Well, Aaron, with that in mind, why don't you give us your closing comments, and we need an update on your Enoch translation, which is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, the interlinear Enoch keyed to Strong's. Uh, give us an update on how that's coming, Aaron. Um, well, well, I've been translating this book and keying it to Strong's for a few years now, and uh, now I've already finished the translation, and now I'm on to the commentary. I'm working on the com commentary at the moment, and I hope I, I want you people to understand what it's going to be like. Um, it's going to be an interlinear with the Greek text. And the English translation, my own English translation, and um, both of these will be keyed to Strong's. Um, and if there's a, con a compound word in Greek, then I break down these into um, their separate Strong's numbers so that you can look these up and understand them. Well, that's off the char charts, Aaron. Um, you're saying, yeah, there's probably, <laughs> I don't know. At least, at least a tenth of the words in Enoch is not in Strong's, but they actually are. They're just compound words. You're saying that you will list all the Greek or all of the Strong's numbers associated with that compound word so that they can look at it and know exactly what was being written in Enoch. That's uh, off the charts. That's never been done before that I know of. I know that in some... Uh, some translations, they will put like G4750.1, uh, and that really just confuses – well, that answers no questions. 
you're saying you will give the definition to the individual root words in every compound word. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but that's when that's when it's a compound word that can be broken down. There are sometimes some words um, that are mentioned that cannot be broken down and are never mentioned in the scriptures or found in the strongest numbers. So I'm still debating on what I'm going to do with those. Those, uh, if I'll have to come up with my own numbering or do what you just said with that point one or point two or whatever. Well, that is excellent. Um, every lay person is going to need to get their hands on this copy of Enoch. Uh, absolutely off the charts. Um, you're going one step beyond what Charles did. Uh, that's just off the charts. Um, Aaron, what is going to be the next Christian conspiracy theory topic? Do you know? Have we worked that out yet? Um, we've been still debating a lot, um, but we were edging towards um, the inhabitants of the other seven heavens. Well, the other six, if you're not considering our own. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that sounds exciting, ladies and gentlemen. Um. Please do catch us. Our normal broadcast, or my normal broadcast, is according to the scripture. Um, I suggest you go to Facebook and look up my Facebook page, according to the scripture. It's associated with uh, my personal account, Matthew Miller. Uh, I've also opened up a blog spike for that, so uh, I'm going to start posting over there, because it's absolutely free. I don't have to pay for it. So, uh, that is according to... Number two, scripture.blogspot.com. And like I said, the Facebook page is open. We're doing tons of work. Like I said today, we've got an interview with L.A. Marzulli about Fatima. Absolutely off the charts what, what L.A. has uncovered there. Um, wow. Uh, that's going to be good stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Conspiracy Theory, signing off.